Hello and welcome to Kiss My Black Side with me, Brenda Imanis. This is a celebratory look at art from a black perspective. In this show, we talk to some brilliantly talented creatives who have made their mark in the world of dance, film, fashion, music, theatre and the visual arts. We discuss their work and inspiration and then we get to do a little deep dive on issues related to their specific art form. And as we're talking, we figured it would be nice to end each programme with a specially commissioned spoken word tribute to our chosen topic, which in this episode is theatre. This podcast is produced by Free Spirit Productions Limited and brought to you by Sadler's Wells. Sadler's Wells is one of the world's leading dance organisations and in 2022, they're celebrating work by black dance artists with Wells Seasoned, a year-long programme of live performances, dance films and more from black choreographers, dancers and artists of colour. Now, exciting talent is exactly what we're bringing you in this episode in the form of three brilliant theatre practitioners doing amazing, impactful work. First, we have Clint Dyer, who has the very fancy title of Deputy Artistic Director at the National Theatre. He also wears other hats as a writer and actor across film, television and theatre. My second guest has worked in theatre, festivals and the cultural sector for decades, so I know has a wealth of experiences to share. Stella Carnu is the Executive Director at LIFT, London's biannual international festival of theatre, which brings joyful, daring theatre from around the world to London, using the whole of the city as its stage. Last but by no ways least in my trio of theatre talent is the formidable Tinuke Craig. Brought up in Brixton, she joined the Royal Court's Young Writers Programme at the age of 17. She's currently witnessing rave reviews at the Old Vic Theatre for her staging of Jitney, the first work in the great August Wilson's 10-play cycle detailing black life in each decade of the 20th century. A Kiss My Black Side special welcome to you all. I'm going to start with you and it must feel like great progress for black practitioners to see a black man as a deputy artistic director at one of the world's most revered theatre establishments. How did you feel when the offer came your way? I'm flattered. I think that would be my first response. Extraordinarily flattered. Um, I also felt rather uh, confused <laughs> because it hasn't been something that I've, I've chased and... Um, management wasn't really on my agenda. I'd, I'd really only wanted to create, and for obviously for the last 30 years I've been just acting, writing and directing. So to, in the main, I should say, I have done little pieces of associate stuff at Theatre Royal Stratford East under Philip Headley, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't as uh, full-time as this and all-encompassing as this. And I kind of had an experience of what running a theatre would be like. So how did I feel? Um, trapped, caught. <laughs> no, no, I felt honoured. You know, yeah, you know, flattered, honoured, all those things. Um, and uh, concerned and worried as anyone would be as to whether I could actually do it. Um, yeah. 
Now, I know for you, Stella, leadership and, and, and Black people in leadership roles in the arts is something that I know you're constantly trying to champion. Do you, are, are you filled with optimism by what you're seeing? What's your feeling of where we are at? I mean, yes, there's reasons to be optimistic and there are some nuances within that. I think what has been really joyful for me over the last few years has been, you know, going and seeing work that is like, wow, I'm actually seeing stuff that really absolutely could relate to my nephew or my mum or my uncle. That is amazing. It's amazing every time there's a new announcement. And Clint, even though, you know, we don't know each other very well on social media, I bombarded you with congratulations that's the kind of way we're connecting and that energy Um, and that's really lovely but I think the optimism and the focus on venue leadership in particular is happening alongside complementary alongside loads of other spaces that are growing you know we know that in terms of the work on stage we know that even in terms of um, um, the movement around environmentalism and this real kind of push within the sector to be delivering that work and we're seeing that um, there are some black voices within there as well. And then when you move towards administration, like executive directors like myself, producers, that is all exploding at the same time. And I think that that's really exciting because it's, it's it's kind of showing what is possible. But I think what Clint was just saying about the backdrop of that is that We've been here before (laughs) and it is part of a longer evolution, but we also can be fully aware of some pitfalls or some things that might not um, uh, grow, you know, like every garden, some things grow, some things don't, some seasons are terrible. And, and, but I also think that the bigger backdrop, if we look at the sector within kind of like um, a, a, a kind of human landscape, there is a real shift and there has been over the last few years away from the kind of what I like to call brain leadership, you know, the very old fashioned style of leadership and what all the leadership that's happening on every single level offers us is an opportunity to kind of break down the hierarchies that have existed over time and time and time again in the systems that have kind of been created because of that. And so I think that there's something of a move towards heart leadership that we're all hoping is represented in the changes that we're seeing that could have much much longer term um influences and impact and 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 that's that's the optimism for me is really at that end point of going okay if i'm in my 70 70th year what are the things that i think i can see based on the seeds and the fruits that are happening right now and that excites me but um i think it's still a long way to go and as um clint said it's evolving so if we are moving towards heart leadership, as you put it, do you think there is a genuine appetite for black creators at all levels of the theatre industry? Or do you still think it feels slightly tokenistic or post-George Floyd the right thing to do? I mean, I, I genuinely think that the appetite and the intention is real. What's the, what's the drivers? Those are the things that need interrogating because they talk a bit more about the end point that people want to get to. And that's sometimes where the dehumanization comes into play so that we become the, we become products. We become something that can produce that can, and that's too close to labor to me. That is just too close then to some other historical experiences. And so, I think that there's, I think the intention is definitely, definitely real. I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form thinking that that isn't the case, but I do think there are nuances there again, um, because as you know, I, I'm in a similar space in, in terms of thinking about the history of 
particularly in the theatre sector. And if you go back to, you know, the 70s, where there's this massive explosion of um, multiculturalism and community arts that really began in kind of black and brown spaces, mm. um, to the black arts movement of the 80s, to the 90s, where there was the black dance um, development trust and all of that kind of explosion that kind of really got us to focus on creativity and spawn some administrators who are still part of this kind of leadership explosion that we're talking about now. That kind of landscape was on the back of an appetite, but actually its intentions are what we're interrogating right now. So I think there is definitely some tokenism in there, as you highlighted, there are all of, the, all of those things. But I think that the, the environment that we're in is so different in lots of ways that I think some of those things might fall by the wayside and there may be new challenges that come to play. Um, and, you know, for me, some of that is in, you know, the people that are fulfilling the massive appetite at the moment, what's their experience? How are they, what, what new things are they kind of challenges are they coming across that we haven't seen before? Because, you know, now we're focusing on well-being and mental health and we're examining the microaggressions that before we might have put in our pocket and just got on with it. But now we're examining everything. We've moved from being the confessional generations to being the generations that are going, what's the political implication of this? And so I think there are some challenges in, in the space for both black artists, creatives, administrators, leaders, and, and the white kind of custodians and stewards that are kind of also stirring the enthusiasm. Now you were talking about experiences and I want to ask Tinu about her experience because you're very at the moment enjoying great reviews for Jitney which is brilliant I mean I was just blown away when I saw it but Jitney is very much about which you're directing it's very much about place and community so I just wondered how you navigated your place in the theatre community and what your experiences have been. Yeah I think it's um how have I navigated my place in the community? It's a great question. I think for me, I suppose I've always known what I wanted to do or why, or why, rather why I wanted to do it, I suppose. And I've always known what my line of inquiry was as an artist. And that's meant that I've sort of known kind of creatively kind of what my place might be or what the kind of work is that I might be interested in where that, what that gap might be. But in terms of finding a kind of position within the wider community, that becomes a little bit more complicated for all the reasons that Stella's talked about so beautifully. You know, there's a, I feel like I might be part of a generation of directors where there are quite a few, like I can name quite a few of my peers who are black and I can name more of my peers who are of color um, very easily. And so there's a sort of sense that, you know, when we talk about how things changed, I think, you know, sort of, um, my name or Roy Alexander Wise's name or Lynette Linton's name or, or Ince's name probably gets reeled off relatively quickly in order to say, well, look, it's, it's, it's better now. See, it's, the change has clearly worked. Um, but actually for kind of trying to navigate through that position, you're still in a position where you, I find myself sometimes, the worry I have is that um, our generation directors therefore have to kind of be the, um, the kind of native informants of that we have to be the kind of messengers and the kind of vessels for that work and that we and you know we, we ought to know more about it than anybody else and we must be the people who can enlighten other people and kind of core theater audiences to our experience through our you know very specific role that we might play within the world which i'm actually very happy to do because i'm passionate about who i am and where i'm from and my community and my culture but at the same time it can get in the way of the artistry can't it it can get away in the way of 
just being able to do the thing you want to do because you have this extra burden of responsibility um, and the sense that you have taken up a space and that there aren't many spaces for you and people who look like you. And so if you're going to have the space, you better nail it because you're doing that for other people as well as yourself. There's a there's an additional pressure, I think, that comes with that that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't feel I have a place in the community. I think I do. And I think I've found that largely amongst the black artists. Um, but it is a slightly more loaded space than it might be for some of my white peers. I mean, I'm sure they would, they might say something different, but I suppose my, my perspective of it would be that. And how do you cope with that pressure? Do you dismiss it? Because I remember speaking to the likes of Spike Lee about responsibility as a creative. I remember as a, a black presenter and a correspondent over the last 20 years, you feel that because you're one of few, you do mm. feel this sense of responsibility. You know, uh, for me, it was Morris Stewart and Trevor McDonald. If I hadn't seen them, then maybe I wouldn't right. have seen it was possible. Mm. So when people see you, you think, oh, you know, you suddenly realise there's a possibility. But that can put a tremendous pressure on you. I think it can. I think it can. And it also puts pressure on you from the wider community and maybe more explicitly the white community but also a pressure even within your own community because you know that you are responsible for representing people in a way that feels true and real and respectable and respectful um and that I think I'm very happy to do that but it, it does it does become an, an additional thing that you're having to think about or a burden that you're having to bear um and it's and I think the danger there also is that it, it takes black artists and black creatives and it, it turns them into a monolith as if we would all think the same thing and have the same experiences and want to tell the same stories about the same things um it doesn't really take into account gender and class and sexuality and ability or disability or neurodivergence and all the other all the other intersections that you might examine you become a sort of black artist and that's your lane um and I think that pressure can feel I, I suppose my the, the the reason that I find that pressure to be unhelpful is that apart from anything else it feels uncreative and I want to be creative more than I want to be anything else so speaking of the creativity and the work itself the content itself how do we go about and how important is it we've now brought Jitney to light again of the, for the great playwright um, August Wilson. There is so much great work around which we want to preserve. And unless you are getting a position when you can say, how about we should be doing this? How important do you think it is that we preserve this great work? And how do we go about doing that if we don't own the theatre spaces, we don't mm. make all the decisions? What, how do we redress such balances and what can be done about it? I think it's crucial that we preserve the work. Um... Partly because I think what, what I was really excited about when I first discovered August Wilson, and part of that discovery was seeing Clint in Marini's Black Bottom, actually, so here we are. Um, but I think there's something of the discovery that there might be a Black canon and there might be a sort of literary history that you are, you are a part of, I think is it's really exciting as an artist, but also I think it's really affirming as, as a human to know that you are part of a cultural history, um, that the art form that you care so deeply about includes you and has always included you, actually. Um, I think is really empowering, really exciting, um, and allows you to look at the sort of the art form differently, which I think for me is really empowering. How we how we do that in these spaces, I suppose, well, partly it's about what we've been talking about a little bit, which is allowing, allowing that's completely the wrong word, finding ways and pathways that black people might be able to be at the heads of these cultural institutions so that the black canon is something that feels more exciting and prominent in that, that person's mind. Um, so that it isn't a freelancer coming up to the uh, artistic director going, hey, I've got this thing, do you, have you heard of it? Can I convince you to do it? It's also just the artistic directors themselves going, this is the kind of stuff that we really care about. This is the kind of stuff we really want to do. That feels um, crucial and important. Um, I also wonder if it's also about allowing us to think about Wilson, for example, with Wilson, I think allow us to think about Wilson as just a great classic. Um, 
and let it sit and let him sit where he ought to sit alongside Eugene O'Neill and Tennessee Williams and Chekhov and all the other great playwrights that we talk about with the language that we use about Wilson um, without going, oh, but this is niche and this is specific and this is only for some people and not for others. Um, because in doing so, I think we, there's, there's great glory in being part of something specifically black. But the danger, I think, in terms of how we market these things is that they become niche. And then when they become niche, they become disempowered. And I think that's a shame when you've got work like that. So, um, Clint, as well as these classics, is it also equally important that we have new work which drives new audiences to the establishments which you are climbing up the ladder? Um, how, how important do you think it is to get diverse audiences into spaces like the Old Vic, spaces like the National Theatre, Clint? Well, as far as my directing goes, it's only new work that I've done. And, and the reason for doing new work is um, to get new audiences. Uh, the reason I'm in this position at the National right now is because of Death of England Delroy and Death of England and Death of England Face to Face all being new work. You know, um, they, they regard it, we regard it at the National as, as paramount to trying to gain new audiences uh, to be able to uh, push through the barriers that that theatre can sometimes um, put up. Now, I want to talk about a moment with you now where somebody really did get to do what they wanted to do. And it was, I mean, as a broadcaster, I've, I have seen, and I think theatre has been more progressive than film and, and other arts genre in moving things forward. I've always felt that. I think you've got that space. I think places like the Royal Court and National have allowed that. And it's been exciting to see. But I'll never forget going to the Globe Theatre and seeing what Stella had done um, and, and seeing the globe in a way I've never seen it before. Do you want to share what that was about, Stella, and why you did it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it is still one of my pleasures that I can easily conjure up the image and we've got a photo to show it. Um, and it is a, a, a beautiful moment, um, absolutely, yeah. And I think it kind of started, there's a bit of a journey to how we got to that photo, I guess, in a way. But initially back in 2018, I'd been as executive producer at um, Oval House Theatre and, you know, using my kind of, judgment to find the best kind of candidates ended up with what I think uh, might still be massive anomalies in other organizations with five black women working in one theater because often what happens is we're kind of dotted around you know and we're in one we might be in one organization and talk to each other outside but being in an organization where we were communicating creating work together um, it came out of conversations where we were talking about the challenges that we were finding and talking about them regularly um, and getting upset um, often about you know what we were experiencing within those buildings, within the relationships we were trying to build professionally, within the work that was being programmed. And it led to these kind of conversations where we were like, let's just get some black women together and talk. And let's do that with an energy of celebration. Let's, um, because, you know, I'm, I, I was a little bit older than um, some of these um, things. I really didn't like the intro that talked about me being around for decades and decades. I am 19. <laughs> <laughs> me too then. <laughs> My very early uh, gestation period of living. You were just a precocious <laughs> talent too. <laughs> I'd kind of like, uh, you know, I kind of, I lived at the tail end of some of the kind of decades that I was talking about. And I, I kind of remembered them because 
I thought that that's what I would meet when I was able to. And yet I got to the position of being, you know, an emerging leader and all of those kind of things had disappeared. But I knew people, I knew, I remembered figures because you would catch people and remember them. And so I was sharing that a lot with um, this up and coming generation. And they were sharing with me also, you know, new talent, but also, you know, what their issues and concerns were and how the game was slightly shifting. And so we set up uh, the Black Women in Theatre events. There was uh, three events that we held throughout 2018 and 2019. And um, those networking events just exploded. I mean, we just had women coming from all over the UK, just to be in a, a safe space with other black women, talking about celebration, their journeys, things that were important to them, what they wanted to see. We did a lot of future gazing and we invited um, people like uh, Winston Pinnock, um, Ola Ince had come, uh, Lynette um, Linton, uh, Judith Jacobs, loads of people, this intergenerational mixed space um, to talk and to just share stories. And, and then we wanted to kind of, I really have this thing about where the conversation currently begins around diversity and inclusion and equity, which is all about statistics and numbers and all about the lack of. And yet here we were programming these events that was attracting the statistics in one space and, I, and there was something really powerful about that and not as a reason to kind of diffuse that oh there are only four percent in this place there are only one percent but what i realized was really challenging is that we were buying into the statistics game as a people and not seeing each other past and present and not seeing the voluminousness of our kind of contribution to um, theatre, the theatre sector, to the art sector, to culture. And so I wanted to make that visual because I just felt, I felt the power in that room. Everyone felt the power in that room when, you know, there might've been 60 of us in the space, but the energy that was driven in there, I really wanted mm. to capture that. And I'd been doing a couple of um, uh, panel discussions at the Globe and, and talking with, um, um, talking with them about, you know, race in Shakespeare and, blind casting and all these kind of things. And I thought, okay, they've had some challenges internally and they're trying to make some corrections. Let me just see if they can put the money where their mouth is. So I kind of just propositioned them in a really short phone call that just said, this is what we want to do. We want to get loads of women to come down and we want to occupy the globe. If you remember, I was just talking about how often we're in organizations singular. So that isolation is really, really keenly felt and mm. and um, and you know when we go into these buildings we don't own them we don't suddenly own them even if you're in a leadership position let me tell you you don't start owning the building mm. and so there was this conversation that was brewing about we want to be able to occupy spaces a space where we're not considered to be so the globe was it and so we then kind of did this real secret campaign by sending out individual invitations to people who were in our networks, because we also wanted to keep it quiet. And we thought we would have a hundred women turn up. Um, but it kind of grew and grew and grew. And secretly over six weeks, we were communicating. Um, I was working with the Globe to figure out how we were gonna have one. We had one, and they gave us a one hour slot in between. I can't remember, might be measure for measure. I can't remember what um, uh, piece was on in that, um in that period but they said uh 
they are going to come off stage at five and they're having a short break and they're coming back on at six. You've got one hour to get everyone in, take the photo and come off again. Well, so um, can you explain to them, to, to Nua and to Klim, what you were trying to recreate, that, that classic um, Yeah, I mean, Harlem there photograph. is a history, isn't there, in the kind of black creativity of a series of moments that are visual representations of where something is. And I, I guess I managed to trace it back to Black Wall Street, actually. I found an image oh, of 11... It might be nine, nine or 11 early investors in Black Wall Street in that area who set up the first black bank. And I think that it was in 1913. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. It might be 1911, early 19th century. And they'd taken this um, sepia photo of the founders. Yeah. And so that's the kind of origin. And then you've got the kind of the great day in um, the great day of, in Harlem, which is the jazz musicians of the age who took a photo. You've got in the 90s, the um, great day of hip hop, where all of the hip hop artists took one, I think in, in Manhattan, maybe in Brooklyn, actually, um, where they had 77 hip hop artists take a photo. You had in 2018, the Netflix creatives and back of house taking another photo and for me this was a continuation of that by saying actually we in the theatre and cultural sector are presenting in the same way um, and I do always say this the numbers kind of grow um, but there is none of those photos that is as many as 250. I've got to say it was the most incredible place to be at that time. It is embedded like cement in my memory. It was just absolute energy? energy was something yeah. else. And I, I felt like I was an intruder because I was a journalist. At the, um, at the, uh, I remember looking at the, I stood up on the stairs and looked down because I wanted to remember it. And I just couldn't believe it had happened and we'd made it happen because it was absolutely the sound of everyone's chatter and people meeting each other and we encouraged people to make connections and it was just yeah it was really something uh, sorry to jump in uh, yeah no funny enough there was another one there was actually another one um that Giles Torreira organized at the national that I was in and that was um about six, seven years ago, I have a wonderful picture with us all um, sitting on the Olivier stage and we did readings, etc. But anyway, my point I'm trying to really make is that there was a lot of people there, but there was nowhere near 250. So I congratulate, I salute you, in fact. Tinu, what does it feel like to you when you're here? You're of a different generation. Do you feel that you, I'm not running out of time, but do you feel, Tinu, that you now have agency, that you can say, I want to do this, and you'll be given licence to do it? I think I, I, I certainly feel like I've got uh, agency to say to say it, whether or not whether or not people will let me is, is quite another matter. But I suppose I've, I've, I'm, I'm lucky to be part of a generation that have got models and role models and have seen versions of what it might be like or how you might go about achieving these things it does feel like um I mean and it it, it, it feels like there's a there's a wind blowing and there's a change happening but it doesn't feel like I, I don't think I, I'm in a position to sit and go it's all sorted and now me and my mates we can just do what the hell we want you know what I mean? <laughs> I just, and you know like Stella said you know there's there's an appetite at the moment but the appetite you know comes from places that doesn't always feel comfortable you know you, you're aware that sometimes the 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 interest in you doesn't necessarily, it feels precarious. 
you know, in some ways, I think I'm a child, I'm a child of the 90s. And so I was, I, I grew up around about the time of loads of schemes. And if there hadn't been loads of schemes, I don't think I'd be doing this. Kids who are nine now are not going to the free drama clubs I got to go to when I was nine. Um, there's a whole system in place that creates the artist, that allows the artist to get to where they need to get to. And if that system's being dismantled, we can't relax, is what I would say. So whilst I'm so happy to be doing the work that I'm doing, it's, we, we can't chill out. <laughs> and we're so glad yeah. you're doing the work we're doing. In fact, we're glad you're all doing the work that you're doing. I want to play my past the pattern game with you. And I'd like each of you to tell me about somebody that you would like to, in essence, pass the baton to, or you'd like to celebrate either from the past or you currently feel is worth, worthy of attention. Tinu? Um, there's a playwright called Deepo Barua Eti, who I saw his show at The Yard and Unfish Man a little while ago. And then I've, I've read a few of his just drafts of his work and I think he writes so specifically about the kind of intersections of the black experience and these sort of corners that are less examined and things that feel epic and theatrical and of the art form and also really really kind of laser in on something that feels particular and important and undiscovered um he's he's an artist that I'm really excited about so Clint if you agree let's see if Tanuri agrees with your choice my choice would be Lynette Linton I think she's incredible um, I think she's a force of nature. I think her work has been outstanding and her taste and her choices are are to be heralded. And um, yeah, I'd love to um, to feel like if anyway there was that I could be a part of that rise, I would be. And so if this podcast can help her future... <laughs> I'm glad that I'm doing it here and now. Yeah, no, she's great. I'd love to pass baton on to her. Stella. I think for me, also because I, I have a different vantage point that isn't necessarily artistic, and I would hate to miss out anyone, I, I think for me I can answer this in a way that feels authentic, which is I am often on the lookout for different types of people. And you know, who can have different kind of functions or who are really inspiring. For me, that is what I like to call tender warriors. People who are kind of leading by the heart. You know, they're not leading, you know, they're leading themselves by their own heart, but they're also, you know, they they have a sensibility enough to not fight like a brawler, fight like a warrior, you know, with skill. You know, someone who can fight you in the silence, fight you quietly, fight you with precision, you know, because yeah. I think, you know, that's, there's something about the combination of those two things that um, is really interesting to me and I identify with. And I'm so, and I often think they're often the outsider um, sensibility. And so I'm often on the lookout for tender warriors who I think are going to be the new, you know, 50 years time, they will be the ones leading organisations and working in a completely different way and um, leading our sector in some in some way, because I think there are some a whole new set of challenges that are coming um, that will require both of those things, people who can be in the softness, but, you know, slice and dice in a second. Mm. This has been truly inspiring. I want to thank you, all three of you, for this really engaging, can I call it a thespian exchange? Are we allowed to say a thespian exchange? <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like. 
It's been, it's been a guest. Thank you all so much. We're going to end the programme with a specially commissioned spoken word contribution to theatre. And I'd like to say a big thank you to flowerist Natalie Stewart from the Flow Spoken Word Vortex. Um, this poem is called Stage and it's by Mr. I Am Jones. Enjoy everyone and do join us again for Kiss My Black Side. The wood floor bends under the feet of its practitioners, suspenders of gravity. We are lifted to another place, a new faith with one belief replacing another. Their foundation shaken, the space between eyes and the stage are no more. The wood floor bends under the feet of its practitioners, spells engraved on tongues announced out loud, proud or full of shame. Tame things made wild and the show goes on for seconds we just forget. Abracadabra becomes the new law. The new let there be, they speak and we see and we see and we believe everything in those moments we need to and I need you to be all that I'm not. And then the curtain drops. Damn. I forgot I was there in the first place. Kiss My Black Side is a Sadler's Wells production. 